TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120 KMOX. Well, take a deep breath as we get into this edition of Nothing Impossible. Michael Calhoun. Hold that breath. Hold that breath. Let it out slowly. Travis Sheridan also in studio. So, as you can tell, we've got a few topics coming up on the show. First off, we're going to talk about geospatial technology, and then we're going to talk about the intersection of blockchain and cannabis. I don't know how we're segueing from a uh, Jesuit university to blockchain and cannabis, but we can make it work on this show. What even is blockchain? I, I don't think I understand still. Oh, it's got know, something to do with Bitcoin, maybe? You didn't ask what is cannabis, so that makes me even more suspicious. <laughs> I think people are familiar with that these days. It's uh, Missouri just legalized medicinal marijuana. It may become legal on the recreational side just across the border in Illinois, but the banks don't want anything to do with it. I wonder if there's parallels to early alcohol sales, right? And this is, you know, a sin tax or whatever you want to call it, right? These banks just really shutting down uh businesses that are, uh, you know, maybe less desirable. But They're there afraid is... the feds are going to come in and shut them down for supporting illegal trade. But we have this uh, this platform of uh, blockchain that could work in increasing transparency and maybe give the banks and financial institutions a little bit more comfort. And it's from a St. Louis area startup, too. Gotta love it. And so we'll find out, first off, not just the cannabis companies themselves, the one that have marijuana in their possession, get kicked out of the banking system, but this guy who's just working on support systems in the financial system tech for the company. industry. It's a tech company. He got kicked out, too. No bank for you. No bank for you. And speaking of getting kicked out, you know, St. Louis has a big problem with kids getting kicked out of school. Our our suspension rate is really high. And there's an organization uh, or a program through Venture Cafe called EdHub, uh, which is trying to address some of the greatest challenges in education through innovative solutions. And I had a chance to interview um, the, the manager of that program, plus the executive director of the foundation that's helping fund it. EdHub is really, I mean, there's innovation that can be put into place really in anything that you can think about. And education is is an area where we've just been doing the same thing. It, it seems, seems like broken, over right? and over and over it again. It seems broken. We may need and There's so much new solution. technology, so many people with new ideas. Right. And so I'll be interested to hear that conversation. Always love Venture Cafe, getting a taste of that too. And we're going to talk about, as mentioned at the top, geospatial technology. If you've ever used a digital map, you've used geospatial technology in its most basic form, but St. Louis is becoming a hub for this stuff and not just because of the federal spy agency setting up shop here. No, we are going to talk to uh, Ken Olaf from St. Louis University, uh, vice president of research, and look at the ways that our academic institutions are partnering with the National Geospatial Agency. Yeah, but right now, let's get right to something I think that that excited some folks in St. Louis this week, the prospect of the NBA professional basketball in St. Louis. The billionaire Richard Chaffetz, Chaffetz Arena, ring a bell, uh, says uh, in the Business Journal that he would love to be a part of an ownership group for the NBA and that he would love to see it in St. Louis. He thinks the market could support it. Is that true, though? It would, it would be interesting to see. I mean, I... His 
don't know a lot of my St. Louis history. I'm sorry, St. Louisans, but I do know we used to have an NBA team here. Uh, Atlanta Hawks were were here. And could young we... Bobby Costas did the play by play for the Spirits on KMOX. That's that's so crazy to think about. And and we have a large African American population. The uh, the NBA does have. Um, a, a big fan base from the black community. Can this be a sport that helps uh, really rally and uh, provide entertainment to our black community here? So let's uh, find out if this is even something that we could have here in St. Louis. If there's a team that's for sale or if there's an expansion process that the league is looking at, Patrick Risch of Washington University in St. Louis runs the sports business program there. And Pat, uh, are they expanding or are there teams that are looking to leave their current cities or is this a pipe dream? Well, I certainly appreciate Mr. Shavitz's energy and enthusiasm. And as a sports enthusiast, I would love to have professional basketball in St. Louis. Of course, at Wash U, we have this great relationship with Joe Lakeup and the Golden State Warriors. He's the benefactor of our program. That all said, I do think it's a bit of a pipe dream, and here's why. First of all, currently, the NBA isn't necessarily looking at expansion. The Seattle and Vegas would certainly be the next cities on deck. St. Louis would not rank close to those cities. So that's from an expansion standpoint. What about something that's owner-driven if Richard Chaffetz or a team of maybe he even gets involved with the Blues ownership uh, since they've got Enterprise and they buy a team in a city and say we're going to move it. What about that? Well, to be honest, I think that the best opportunity, quite frankly, is if St. Louis were to ever consider the possibility of a G League franchise and if the G League decided to expand, because quite frankly, the G League is gaining in popularity and, and stature. So, and, and on top of that, it's possible that a G League franchise could exist in an arena like the existing Shavitz Arena. I just think it's unlikely. If you look at the markets that are out there, probably one of the weakest performing markets would be Memphis. But you know, do I see a transaction where he's purchasing the Grizzlies and moving them to St. Louis? You know, I really don't. Because, again, you have to consider the market size. We're a market that is, again, around 20th in terms of metropolitan statistical area. And ultimately, now that we've got obviously hockey, obviously baseball, I think there's a really strong chance we're going to have Major League Soccer and then add to that the XFL. So now you're talking about potentially four markets, and then you want to add a major a NBA team? or uh, I think that's a stretch. I do think the G League is much more digestible now, Vegas is, uh, in terms of Nielsen markets, 42, and St. Louis is 21. And they've already got uh, the NFL, the biggest uh, league, apparently going there with the Raiders, and uh, the NHL now, too. So is, doesn't that put them in the same position as St. Louis? Now they have the, the tourism factor, but it is a smaller market. Uh, well, you know, basketball, just the dynamics of the sport is more kind of fast-paced and energetic and sexy, which, of course, is kind of consistent with the Vegas demeanor. Uh, and I do think that that's something that would be kind of eye-catching for tourists. You know, obviously now that the NBA, probably more so than any other uh, sports league, is really kind of embracing this idea of the legalization of gambling, well, obviously that would <laughs> make a lot of sense. And I think you may be underestimating, that even though it's a smaller market, that there is a lot of, uh, of you know, disposable income among certain groups in the community. So ultimately, I think when you can add all of those things up, it really does make Vegas... Again, I'd rank Seattle ahead of Vegas, but I would rank Vegas certainly above St. Louis. All right, that's Patrick Risch of the Sports Business Program at Washington University. Coming up next, we're going to check out EdHub. We'll be back. Stick around. 
Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. All right, Travis Sheridan with Nothing Impossible on location out at the EdHub event, uh, which is in Innovation Hall. And I'm here with the manager of the EdHub, uh, Sharita Love, and also Dr. Saris Chung, who is the executive director of Skip NV. We'll learn a little bit more about both of those things. But Sharita, what is EdHub and what are we doing here tonight? Oh, EdHub is um, a platform for educators, no matter what that means to you, whether you be a parent, community member, concerned citizen, uh, to come together and connect over what's best for kids. Um, it's a physical space at Innovation Hall, but then also an intellectual space where uh, we keep thinking about what we can do, what we can reimagine so that kids benefit most. And how's this tied to innovation? I mean, is it about iPads in schools and 3D printers? Uh, some of that, uh, but not just that. Um, it is about the way we think, um, the way we be uh, with one another when it comes to conversations that matter um, in, in education. We know that, um, I always say this, we know that in St. Louis, we have issues, right? Um, but this is not specific to St. Louis. Um, our silos keeps us keep us disconnected. Um, our conversations sometimes keep us disconnected. Uh, but what would be possible if we removed all those labels, titles, who we are, where we live, and really just think about kids? Kids at the center of all of our stuff. Um, that's that's the innovation that we want to look for. Kids at the center of all our stuff. That sounds familiar. Like, it does. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> you are so good. <laughs> you are so good. You have heard the term or the phrase youth at the center. Yeah. And youth at the center is something that, uh, or some verbiage that was pulled from the Ford through Ferguson report, where uh, one of the recommendations uh, for uh, St. Louis and our region to look at uh, equitable outcomes, not just for kids, but for our region, uh, is to keep youth at the center. Um, EdHub exists in part because uh, we looked at the recommendation to create a space uh, for educators to come together and do just what we're doing tonight. Um, have conversation, um, get, go into a session and learn something different and new, um, and then hopefully walk away with a partner in this work. So that's what we're hoping. So they're not doing it alone. And I, I would imagine like educators go to conferences yep. all the time, but they probably don't go to things like this. So to, to give us a little picture of what's going on here tonight specifically. Sure. Um, so tonight we have, um, well, one, we have alcohol. So generally we don't get alcohol at our conference. Children at the center. Let's just remember that. That's right. That's how they're yourself first. Absolutely. Take care of yourself first. Yeah, but <laughs> yes. So there's drinks, there's food, mm -hmm. there are sessions that are happening. We have about six sessions that are happening around equity and education, parent organizing, and what that looks like. Um, we have a session around wellness and self care for educators. Uh, we have a session around uh, technology and social services impact. So how do we look at um, technologies that are out there that assist and support education and, and kids in our region. And then we have a panel with uh, school leaders from across the region to talk about how do we look at ways to remove barriers to learning um, through social services that are offered within schools. And, and I'd like to add. But let me, let me introduce before you jump in here. Uh, <laughs> 
I want to come over to you, Dr. Sarah Chung. Can I call you Sarah from now on? Call me Sarah. Right, for a few minutes. Uh, so you're with you're the executive director of EdHub, but you wanted to add something to what Sharita just said. Yeah. Also, so I was going to say you asked what the difference is between this and a typical conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say the difference is is not that we're just talking down or there's an mm-hmm. expert in the front of the room mm-hmm. telling what they know, but that it's a bi- bi-directional conversation that we're really just sharing what we all collectively know so that we can have ideas that maybe spark new um, new initiatives and or different ways to, to serve kids. So um, I, I like the bidirectional feel. I think that's something that's really important to us when we designed it mm-hmm. uh, because I think we all know that we have blind spots. We have things that we need to share with one another um, so we can do better. Yeah. And I would imagine that not one person has all the answers, but collectively we're a lot closer. Is that true? Will it be? I don't know. I that's don't know. a good. Well, yeah. It's a big well, experiment, yeah. right? Like we hope that it will be. I think um, one thing we keep saying is that this is not a space that is prescriptive. It's a yeah. space that we hope that the people who come to mm-hmm. attend these events will actually design and make their own. So already people are saying, you know, oh, I'm going to go talk to so and so over there yep. because they look alone. So that's great. Yeah. That's what we want. They want. Yeah. We want this to be their space, their mm-hmm. hangout. Well, I mean, are, uh, are educators comfortable with that? I, mean, I would think <laughs> that they want a little bit more structure, right? A little more uh, pedagogy as to how this, you know. <laughs> I'm supposed to interact this way. So what what's this like free flow? How do the educators align with this or deal with this? We'll see. I was just talking to um, we'll a friend of mine. I, yeah. I'm being honest. Like yeah. I was just talking to a friend of mine um, who just retired. Mm-hmm. She uh, was a librarian and I think she taught third grade for like 30 years or something like that. And she is a regular at Venture Cafe St. Louis and uh, very active in like STEM education in St. Louis. And so she came in. She's like, do I check in like I do at Venture Cafe? And then she kind of stood there for a minute. And she's like, oh, I get it. She's like, I get it. This is Venture Cafe for us, (laughs) for educators. So we're supposed to. <laughs> so yeah, it, I think it it may take a while for some. It may be natural for some, but we'll see. We'll see what I think what this looks like. I think that's the point, right? Yeah. So someone wants like in chaos, right? Um, yep. You talk to some organizations and they're like, "There's no structure. We don't know what we're doing," and you that's chaotic that. to me. We have to learn that. But then another person who sees kind of the other aspect of chaos, they they described it like jazz. Mm. Like sometimes yeah. there's a melody and you can pipe in and and play that note with them, or you sit out for that part and then pipe in with another note so I don't know jazz so I'm just making that illusion but, but it made sense it to me at the legitimate. time it sounded, it, it sounded yeah. really good and so yeah. I just wanted to use it in this sound bite but I think that's what it is is you know you make it your space yeah. um, the, the, the breakouts are really just breakouts if you yeah. want to go for all of it you go for all of it but if you want to stand and talk to someone because you're having a really good connection mm-hmm. with someone you've never met then you do that and yeah. it's not it's not prescriptive so yes it's probably going to be painful so you don't, you don't have to sit in your chair or your desk until the bell rings and then you can get up if you are <laughs> If, you, nice if, if you're if you're bored, you yeah. can just get up and walk out. Go. Or if you show up late, you're not right. going to be in trouble. You right. can yeah. jo- join in. That's yeah. right. I think that's the whole point is we want to be as flexible as possible with some structure. There's definitely structure. You know, there's time frames and rooms to listen to certain things. But, um, yeah. but yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about Skip NV and how you're connected to all this craziness, sure. this, chaos, this chaos, this jazz. We love organized <laughs> chaos at Skip NV. So we're really new. You know, we've only been around for a year and a half, and we were really kind of set up as a group to um, think about what are the, the ways in which we can add value um, through a systems lens. So a lot of times we create a lot of initiatives in um, the in the social space that come and feed back onto itself and make things worse over time. Hmm. And so.
so, so my training is in system dynamics. It's um, about understanding those types of effects and mitigating for unintended consequences. And so we kind of got in this space thinking, how do we work in education? What are some of the barriers? What are some of the things that maybe aren't being talked about or funded? And um, one of the things that we heard educators say is, you know, there's lots of good things happening. It's just that we don't know about it. We don't know how to get our hands on it. Um, or it doesn't work in our context, but it might work in this other way. So people wanted a space and place to do this. Forward Ferguson had their recommendation about youth at the center. We were kind of in a space where we were trying to figure out how to be helpful and kind of met Sharita um, through her podcast, which is fun. Um, just kind of listening to her as a thought leader and then realizing that she worked for Venture Cafe, attended some Venture Cafes, got really excited about what they were doing, and it just all made sense. So I'm really excited that we can offer this for the education community. I think this is unique in the sense that a lot of times, I just talked to a lot of nonprofit people too, we often get, we scrap by, we have the lowest minimal resources and we are just constantly just fighting for more. But this is one place where I hope that um, people can be free to, to do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. What, what really, what I, the vibe I get here, and maybe it's just because I'm standing next to all the energy. <laughs> but I'm they're, literally about to cry. So. I know. They're, 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 oh, good, good. We'll, we'll, we'll cry together. There, there is this feeling of hopefulness and abundance that I see here from these yeah, participants. I like that uh, I mean, yeah. you were mentioning scraping by, and we all hear the, yeah. I won't call them the horror stories, they're the true stories of teachers taking money out of their own pockets mm-hmm. to make sure they have supplies for their kids uh, or helping kids, you know, with clothing or hygiene adopting or adopting them. them. Uh, but this seems like a, this is this is a community of educators that are all mm-hmm. pushing that same rock up the same hill at the same time, knowing that it's going to slip every day. How, I mean, how's that? Other than crying, Sarita, like, <laughs> I mean, how does it make you feel that you get to do this for your living? This is your this is your thing. I don't I don't have words. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of you know what Sarah was just speaking to, just the you know fact that this is so perfectly aligned with what I consider my ethos. Yeah. Um, it's I, I can't even speak to it. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll let you off the hot seat. But I, yeah. one last question: <laughs> If people wanted to learn more yeah. about EdHub, where do they go? Um, well, they can go to our website. We're all over Venture Cafe St. Louis. We're at innovationhall.org, um, um, and they can also reach out to me. So, my, oh, well, at my email, and they no, can yeah. find me. No, they no, can no, find me. Email. Yeah. <laughs> That's way too complex That's way for too already. Complex. Right, right. Uh, all right, so Sharita Love and Dr. Saris Chung, thank you so much for joining uh, for this, and it will. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go enjoy all of this. I'm gonna go hang out with those abundant people over there. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm excited. We'll be back more after this. Now back to nothing impossible on Kangam OX. All right. Well, there's things that people know about and things that people don't know about. People probably know about cannabis. People probably don't know a lot about blockchain. They've heard about Bitcoin. They've heard about Bitcoin. One of the applications of that technology. Right. And so we're going to bring them together and uh, have a discussion. Yeah. Let's bring in Jay Lindbergh, who is the founder of Missouri-based The Kangia Project, uh, joining us on Nothing Impossible. Thanks for calling in, Jay. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on. How you guys doing? Doing great. So before we get to the cannabis side of things, just as a, a quick uh, primer for our audience, tell us a little bit about blockchain. Sure. So uh, the blockchain is a somewhat newer technology. Um, it's a pr- it provides a lot more transparency and security than uh, the traditional and current um, applications. So it provides a lot of stability and security to the financial space. 
Yeah, we've heard, uh, like I just said, I think the the Bitcoin application is what people are most familiar with. But, I mean, everything from healthcare to retail, all sorts of different applications of this have been talked about. How do you how do you describe, I guess, this blockchain? Um, I don't even know where to begin because it's uh, it's a new approach that uh, is sometimes hard to wrap your mind around, I think. Sure. When people hear blockchain, most people first think about Bitcoin and they think about cryptocurrency. Um you know, blockchain is a lot more than just cryptocurrency. There's a lot more application and use case for it. So like you mentioned, um, insurance industry, supply chain industry, uh, in the real estate industry, and most importantly, just in the financial space. So um, there's a lot of use case for it in the, the world and, you know, people in general are still becoming privy to that. Well, I know that uh, there was a lot of discussion uh, back shortly after the uh, the financial crisis. Uh, people were saying that if blockchain uh, existed and was stronger, more widely widely accepted and adopted, then uh, maybe the financial crisis may not have happened. And that's mostly because we could have tracked uh, these bad loans, these these shoddy pr- uh, products that that investors were put together. Uh, tell us about the cannabis uh, application to blockchain and crypto uh, blockchain. Sure. So. Well, to touch on what you just mentioned is that there was a lack of transparency there, right? So um, a lot of money was missing or, you know, was unaccounted for. So what we're, what Kanji is doing is bringing transparency to the blockchain and to cryptocurrency and to the cannabis industry. Um, you know, cannabis is starting to become legal in many places, uh, you know, over... 33 states in in the United States, but it's still illegal on a federal level. So due to that, federally chartered banks are unable to service the cannabis-based businesses. So although it's legal in multiple states, everyone is still operating in a cash industry. So it's a a cash economy. Yeah, we've seen, I think, uh, Canada being the one country in North America that's totally legalized it. It's, it seems like a lot of the businesses, um, especially those who want to be publicly traded and want to hook into the banking system, are making their way to Canada. And so where does that leave? I guess you've got Canada, then you've got the states where it's legal, like Colorado, Oregon, Washington, California now. And then you've got the states uh, like Missouri and Il- Missouri soon and Illinois, where it's uh, it's medicinal, and that's a whole other level. And so why uh, base your company in Missouri as opposed to uh, these other states in this country or even going to Canada? Uh, well, so our LLC is actually based in Delaware. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I live in Missouri. I live in St. Louis. This is where I'm from. So this is kind of where, you know, our office is headquartered. However, you know, our partners are in California. They're in Denver. Um, you know, we're all over the United States. So um, we're focused on a global industry. You know, as you mentioned, Canada, um, Uruguay, uh, the country Colombia, you know, there's a, there's a, a global industry forming and we're focused on creating a standardization for not just all these different states, but all the different countries. And you I know, would... this ind- Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I guess what you were saying earlier, financial institutions just are not, uh, are just, it's just too high risk of a business, right? So there's, they're not allowing any sort of transactions on, through traditional uh, means. Right. And even international banks, 
you know, they're refusing to service those cannabis businesses in other countries because those banks are at risk of the United States banks severing ties with them. So a lot of this has to do with it being illegal on a federal level and due to uh, FinCEN regulations, anti-money laundering laws. So they want to ensure that any penny and all this money that would come through isn't illegal money. It didn't come from the black market. So that's where the transparency comes in. And what we, what we've created is a platform that would allow the banks to actually monitor and track all of the transactions that a cannabis related company that they open account for would be doing to ensure that all those transactions are done between other licensed cannabis businesses and uh, medical marijuana card holders. So, so we're using technology to try to bring more transparency to this industry. So what is the stage of your company now? So our application is fully functioning. Um, and right now we are in talks with uh, lobbyists and legislators trying to get in front of the um, decision makers to present what we have and to show them that, you know, we have a solution for a lot of the problems that they're facing. You know, our, our, our platform, what it would also allow is for the real-time payment of sales tax. So instead of the companies, these businesses driving duffel bags of cash across the state to go pay sales tax, our platform would actually, using the blockchain, would allow the government to collect their sales tax in real-time each time someone made a purchase at a dispensary. And you talk about businesses getting uh, kicked out of a, the banking industry, so to speak. You've got your own experience with this when it comes to a local bank in the St. Louis area? Absolutely. Um, you know, and it's nothing new to us. Like I said, that's the reason that we founded this project. Um, you know, we've seen companies that don't even, that, that, that don't even touch the plant. They just service the industry uh, face problems. And that's exactly what we're facing here. So we set up just oper a simple operating account at First State Bank in St. Charles. Um, within a month, they sent us a letter terminating our account because we service the cannabis industry. Now, you don't deal with, uh, I can imagine, a dispensary, for instance, and they've got actual marijuana on their hands and a bank being uncomfortable with that. Um, but you don't actually deal the Kangia Project. We're talking with Jay Lindbergh, who's the founder. Uh, you don't actually deal with marijuana or cannabis physically, do you? And yet the, the bank still said, we don't want to be associated with you. Yeah, no, we do not touch cannabis at all. We do not. We're not affiliated with the plant. We're a technology company that provides solutions for the cannabis industry, as well as banking institutions and the government. But the fact that we service the cannabis industry was just uh, a flag to terminate our, our banking relationship. Take this forward you know, two to five years. Where do you see your company? Where do you see this industry? And what role does uh, blockchain play in that? Sure. So, you know, I see more of a global industry forming. Um, Canada, you know, it's, it's legal nationwide there. They're set up to export cannabis to different countries. Uh, so what I see is we're going to play a major role in facilitating those global transactions. You know, different buyers in different parts of the world where there's different currencies, it's a very complex situation, especially considering most banks 
won't service them. So how can you facilitate a transaction from Canada to Uruguay if the banks don't want to be involved? Well, the Candia platform and cryptocurrency would allow for that type of sophisticated uh, financial transaction to take place all on the blockchain. So it's fully transparent and secure. Um, that's where I see it on a global scale. Uh, here nationwide, I see uh, more states legalized. I still don't think that will be legalized on a federal level, um, but I definitely see the industry booming. Jay Lindbergh, founder of the Missouri-based Kangia Project. And where can people go to get more information, Jay? They can go to our website. It's kangia.com, C-A-N-G-E-A.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll be back right after this on Nothing Impossible. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Welcome back. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you, and we want to get the scoop on what's happening with geospatial technology in St. Louis. We've told you about some of the pieces of what's happening, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, this huge federal spy agency setting up here, companies like Boundless moving to St. Louis, and there's an educational academic aspect to this as well. Yeah, so we are, we're joined by Ken Olaf from St. Louis University. Ken, can you tell us the SLU connection to the NGA? And thanks so much for joining us, by the way. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so St. Louis University has a long connection relationship with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Um, as you know, um, the NGA has two campuses. One of them is here in St. Louis. Um, and so the relationship with the NGA and SLU goes back good number of years. We started with collaborating with the NGA around work we were doing on unmanned aerial vehicles um, or drones um, and ways that you can put various kinds of sensing technologies um, on the on drones. And uh, we have now just um, in the last uh, month or two, we have signed a new collaborative research and development agreement for a much expanded partnership uh, around research, education, and innovation with the NGA. And Ken, um how do you describe what geospatial means for folks <laughs> who are coming into this um, and, and maybe they're brushed with it might be thinking, all right, so I use ways to get around, you know, thinking of right. uh, straight maps and how they use those in their daily lives. But geospatial, why is it so important and uh, how pervasive in our lives is it going to become? Fantastic question. So, so geospatial is essentially using technology to understand the world. So as you said, uh, anyone who has used Waze or Google Maps um, to navigate by car is using geospatial technologies. So geospatial includes a whole variety of different technologies. Uh, GIS, or Geographic Information Systems, is one of them, but there's also, as we've mentioned, drones, something called LIDAR, satellites. It's essentially any kind of technology that is used to understand what's happening on the world in real time. And then you can imagine that this can be used for a whole variety of different purposes. Now, when I think of the the campus that's being built, the NGA campus that's being built, uh, and the number of jobs that are that are being created and that will uh, operate out of there, uh, is part of the reason in connecting to St. Louis University for um, relate has that have to do with workforce, or is it also to connect with the researchers to discover what hasn't yet been discovered? It's both, um, and I'm glad you glad you point out because both are critically important. So, as you can imagine, the uh, geospatial 
field changes very rapidly. Technology has really transformed it over the last uh, decade or so. And so one of the issues is for the geospatial industry um, companies around which are working in uh, geospatial, as well as the NGA, the need for talent um, in a rapidly um, evolving area is incredibly important. And so SLU has um, been providing that kind of talent um, for the last number of years, but we're significantly ramping up our efforts um, with this new uh, GeoSLU initiative uh, that we'll describe to you. We're talking with... As you mentioned. I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, there is also a very important research component to it. Um, so St. Louis University has expertise really across the university um, that are using geospatial tools to understand problems um, that the world faces here in St. Louis and then globally. We're talking with Ken Olaf, who's vice president for research at St. Louis University. And if people are interested, you mentioned talent is a huge aspect of this if people are interested in getting into this industry, what are the skills they need? What should they? What route should they take? Um, you know, where where should they go at SLU? Is this something you should start with as an undergrad, or if people are looking to change careers, um, how do people get into this? I guess uh, many points of entry. Um, so the training happens at all different levels. Um, so uh, from high school kids who are coming into college and thinking about um, data science, computer science. Um, um, earth and atmospheric sciences is a potential area. Um, we provide those kinds of training opportunities uh, as well as graduate programs for more advanced skills. Um, and then through our School of Professional Studies in particular, we have a whole variety of different training options um, for people who are retooling their career, either because they want to change careers or if they just want to get new skills um, to keep up with, uh, with technology. Ken, can you talk a little bit about some of the research that goes on at St. Louis University that directly applies to geospatial? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so GeoSLU um, is an initiative that we started through a big ideas competition at the university. Um, our goal is to become the world's leading Jesuit research university. And as part of that, we are defining a, ser- a set of very distinct strengths that we can build upon um, to become um, one of the top programs in the country. So we've identified geospatial as one of those areas. And it's really building on strengths that we already have and uh, enhancing and accelerating them. So for instance, um, through our School of Medicine, our School of Public Health and and Health Sciences, we do work around understanding health disparities. Um, We're now using geospatial tools to understand the distribution of health disparities for instance, in the city of St. Louis and in the region. Um, geography is a very important predictor of the kinds of health uh, challenges that individuals face. Um, another example would be using um, geospatial tools to understand the way that um, regional conflict around the world happens. So if you can understand what's happening with water and what's happening with disease, you have a very good predictor of uh, understanding and predicting regional instability. Where would you say, uh, Ken, uh, geospatial technology is in, in the timeline of its life? Are we, are we in the beginning stages of this technology becoming pervasive, becoming a huge industry? Um, you know, just like maybe around the turn of the century, St. Louis began an initiative to become a, a plant and bioscience hub. And now we're seeing the fruits of that a couple of decades later. Do you think that we're just getting in on the ground floor of geospatial and that it's really about to, to blow up and this is the perfect time to get in on it? 
I think that that's the right analogy. I think that um, we're not at the ground ground floor in the sense that the foundation is already there. We have great companies uh, here in St. Louis. You know, Ameren is using geospatial, uh, Monsanto, now Bayer, uh, Boundless, Esri, Enterprise, Worldwide Technologies. Um, but it's it's just exploding now. The you know if you think about if you can understand what's happening in real time around the world. How can you use that for a whole variety of different purposes, for industry, for solving problems, and so on? Um, I think there's a huge potential for the St. Louis region to establish itself as one of the leading uh, destinations for geospatial research, education, innovation. But I think uh, the opportunity is in front of us, and we absolutely have to grab it. Well, one of the things that I I think I'm most excited about as I see all these pieces coming together is it's not just uh, a spy agency that's going to be in St. Louis. Uh, It's a partnership with St. Louis University. It's the partnerships that have been fostered with uh, T-Rex, the downtown incubator, and the creation of an industry cluster there around geospatial to really fuel the next generation of innovators and entrepreneurs working in this space. Uh, We already have a cybersecurity uh, accelerator program through the 630 uh, uh, organization and company. or uh, so, so Ameren can, Accelerator is Ameren invested a- in geospatial, yeah, too. Ameren Accelerator as well. So, Ken, as you're seeing, like, as you're at that 30,000-foot view, what pieces are still missing? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think we need to attract more companies uh, to St. Louis. I think that's an important piece of it. Um, for You know, across a variety of different industry sectors, geospatial tools are now becoming um, a resource for companies that would not have been considered such before. And so I think reaching out to those companies and those innovators and convincing them and conveying to them that St. Louis is the place to be, um, really building a critical mass. I think we also need to be focused on recruiting great uh, researchers and scientists to the area as well. And again, I think if we can, we need to build that critical mass of when we at St. Louis University are recruiting the best and brightest faculty that they want to come here because they want to be part of what's happening um, here in St. Louis. And then the collaborators that they can get um, with our other industry, with our university partners, with our industry partners, um, and with, uh, with startups. Um, you know, it's, an, it's, it's a little bit uh, trite to say it, but it really has to be an ecosystem. Well, I, I can just imagine we're going to get to that day, just like uh, if you see the spy shows and like, get me Langley on the phone because they want to talk to the FBI or something. Now it's going to be, get me St. Louis, and it's going to be about the spy, <laughs> spy agency here. I like it. I like it. Go, go, it internal GPS. Yeah. It's important to remember, though, that um, so the, you know, the NGA is part of the Department of Defense, but it actually has a, a broader mission, um, including disaster preparedness hmm. around the world. So, for instance, um, with uh, various natural disasters and hurricanes and so on, it's the NGA that's providing the, the background maps and, and information that's helping with, uh, with rescue efforts. And we've seen with NGA, like with a lot of uh, federal agencies and defense agencies, uh, technologies that are developed there and make their way to the private sector and maybe become even more successful once they're in the private sector than they were when they were developed in the military. Absolutely. And that's a really important uh, piece of uh, where the NGA is going, as I understand it, that because they're working in this space that's changing so rapidly, um, that they are really needing to open up and engage with innovators, engage with industry, engage with academia, um, because great ideas come from anywhere. Um, and then also to show that the work that's coming out of the NGA has application um, across you know, many different sectors of the economy. 
Ken Olive, Vice President for Research at St. Louis University. Thank you for joining us and giving us the scoop on geospatial and the impact it's having on St. Louis. My pleasure. Um, if I can mention one other thing. Sure. sure. Um, there's, so you mentioned at the beginning, um, what is this geospatial thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so at St. Louis University, we're, we're taking our public outreach seriously. And in February and March, we're going to be doing a series called Geospatial 101 um, for the St. Louis community. Um, and uh, so stay tuned for information about those dates. But it'll basically be what, what do you need to know about uh, geospatial and why does it matter in St. Louis? And, and uh, when it's and time then, to attend, uh, where can they get more information? Um, please go to SLU's website, uh, SLU Research, uh, so slu.edu slash research. And use your favorite mapping application to get directions to the site. Absolutely. <laughs> Ken, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. All right, and thank you for joining us on another week of Nothing Impossible. Take care. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.